Look, I haven't done this in a while, so I've had to record this <laughs> way too many times. You're listening to Historically Speaking with Alyssa Gray Titer, a podcast about <laughs> whatever I want. I'm talking about the stories of our past and how they shape our present narratives. My stories, my way. It's her story in the making. What up, peeps? This is Alyssa, and welcome back to Historically Speaking. Um, so it's been a while. <laughs> It's not my fault. Things got ridiculous. Like, I can't even begin to tell you where my mind is at right now because I feel like I'm just now coming up for air and it's October. The last time you heard from me, it was August, August 24th, I believe. So um, let's run back kind of what happened after August 24th. So... I hadn't planned to take a break. Um, teachers like us, we decided that we were going to take a little mini break while we got ready for school. But I had always planned to continue with Historically Speaking because I had so many topics to share and there was so much going on in the world. But here is what happened. So August 24th, I put out um, What Happened to Your Black Square? That rolls around. And then I'm like, you know what? Let me start planning for back to school. So I start planning for back to school. And a week later, I find out that my entire, um, not my entire, half of my package has changed, but it's the whole thing that I was planning for. So originally, I was slated to teach um, half a section of language arts and social studies. Um, so language history, geography. So I was planning entirely for that. I find out, so I post this like awesome picture on Instagram of my, um, you know, decolonizing education, indigenizing education books. And I'm so happy. And a day later, I find out that package is being taken because of all of the online in-person school mess. And so I'm now teaching or I was teaching half French, and then the other half was my spec ed position that I talked about. So I find out I'm teaching French and immediately, like, <laughs> I know some of you are laughing, but <laughs> legit, I'm panicking. Like, I was like, all right, like, I don't know why the education universe hates me so much. And again, I'm sorry if you teach French and you love it. Like, that's great. You are probably amazing at your job. I am not amazing at teaching French and I'm not going to lie about it. Um, I am great at teaching language and history and geography. Those are my passions and they're just what I excel at. Okay. I know my limitations. I'm okay with that. So I go in and I start um, again, half spec ed, half history, geography. I mean, half French. See, I don't even know where I am anymore. And then things hit the fan again. So within our first week of going back to school and students realizing that, um, you know, they've been, <laughs> they've been, uh, what was it like sleight of hand? Like, you know, um, Oh my goodness, like you show you show them the right hand, they don't know what the left hand is doing or whatever that is. I don't know what the saying is, I'm tired, it's late, whatever. So that happens and students are like, well, absolutely not, like this is not fun. And so a bunch of students opt to go online. So what happened was with 
the influx of online students, we then needed more online teachers. Originally, what they were doing is going by seniority. So those who were lowest on seniority were the ones kind of being removed from the schools to teach online. But then they realized it wasn't exactly exactly equitable. So they said that people were allowed to volunteer. Now, keep in mind that the spec ed position that I was slated to um, take on this year is something that I have been working for since I started teaching. Like, I have wanted this position. I have begged for this position. I finally got it. Um, But the half French was truthfully uh, stressing me out because I had to see so many students in a day, plus seeing a bunch of students in my um, in my spec ed role. So I was like, "Mm, maybe I should opt for online. And so I cried about it a little bit and then decided, you know what, I think I am better suited for online education. And thus, I volunteered to teach online, which then meant I had to switch again and go back to my language and history and geography uh, realm. But um, we decided as a grade 17, there were four of us, we decided to teach in a quad. So in our quad, um, I'm now history, geography, um, someone else's language. Um, Andre is science, music, Andre, you teach too many things. Um, Science, music, uh, phys ed, and health. That's his package. And then we have another teacher that's teaching math. So (laughs) it has been a doozy of a two weeks. Like we are coming up, If depending on when I release this, either it has been two weeks or we are just about to hit two weeks. And it has been the whirlwindiest <laughs> uh, I'm making up words today, but that's what it feels like. Just topsy turvy and all over the place. So long story longer. Here I am. I'm back. Oh, and I started my PhD. Dun, 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 like <laughs> as if it weren't already hard enough of a of a year of a time of a COVID, of a pandemic, you know what I mean? Um, So I started my PhD and like the brilliant mind that I am, I decided that two courses would be better than one course, especially in this weird time. So here I am taking two courses. I'm taking one course that um, they, they kind of build as a, like a, 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 like a requisite course, like something that we needed to have. And it's a class filled with PhDs, EDDs, PhDs and EDDs. <laughs> I realized there's three sections. That's because there's PhD, PhD flex, and then EDD. So all of us are in one class. It's supposed to be like a, a foundational course to kind of make sure that we're all on, you know, the same page and kind of have the foundational information we need for social justice education. Um, Yeah, so keep in mind that my PhD is in social justice education. Um, And that will tell you kind of a little bit about um, where I'm going to go today with this chat. So, oh, and the second course I'm taking is race um, and blackness in education or something along those lines, which is a phenomenal course. Love my prof. Um, Black women are magical. And so it's been great to learn from her. Now, (laughs) look, this is like 
no shade, but shade at the same time. I am not enjoying my requisite class. So the one that has all of us in it. And I kind of had a feeling that, you know, it was stuff that I already knew and I was okay with that, but I didn't realize kind of how all over the map um, the people who were coming in to learn with me were. Like I kind of figured if you're in social justice education that you have, um, you know, you have a background, you have a passion. This is this is kind of your jam, right? And I'm not feeling that right now. In fact, I'm so stressed. And the whole reason I was like, you know what, we're going to podcast today is because I just came from that class and I am feeling hella stressed. So um, class was going as it does, right? There are a lot of opinions, whatever. Okay, I'm fine with that. Um, But we got to a point today where we were talking about a couple of things that just super rubbed me the wrong way. Uh, The first thing was in talking about the idea of the land acknowledgement, something that I'm actively trying to disrupt and do not mistake me when I say disrupt. I mean, disrupt the white noise that it has become. I want people to acknowledge the land and um, understand um, the the connection to the land and why it's so important. And when we're decolonizing and indigenizing uh, education, why the land matters. I want that, but I want it in a meaningful way. And that's currently not happening. So we had um, a discussion in class about the idea of the idea of having um, someone different every class make a land acknowledgement, but make it meaningful to them, I guess, in that sort of way. But the very idea of every week someone being forced, because regardless of if you are forced to do it that particular week, the idea is that you take one on, right? It immediately becomes a task, um, a thing that you have to do. And yeah, it just really didn't sit well with me. So I said that. I said, you know what? As, you know, an Afro-Indigenous person, um, I don't love this. Actually, no, I didn't even say I don't love this. I was like, I hate it. Just understand that I shoot straight from the hip here. I shoot straight from the hip in class. Like I am who I am and it's going to be what it's going to be. So in any case, I I say like, nope, I hate it. <laughs> Don't do it. But then there's this kind of, I, you know what? I really hate this idea of devil's advocate. It drives me bonkers and it's it's really rooted in in white supremacist culture. Like it's the thing that upholds, um, you know, the dominant culture and thus marginalization and oppression. Because whenever somebody articulates uh, a lived experience or something that's happened, someone can always say, but if you think about the other side, and sometimes the other side is simply wrong, right? Like there is not always like... Again, there are always multiple sides to a story, but that doesn't make them um, anti-racist. It doesn't make them anti-oppressive. It doesn't make them anti-biased perspectives. And that's what I'm shooting for here. Like, I don't know. So that was one thing that just drove me up the wall. The second thing that really stuck with me today, like I felt my heart starting to race as we were going through them is we have um, a list of 
community guidelines. And I think this is important because we often talk about community guidelines or we make community guidelines with our classes, right? And it's this idea that there are a set of rules that we can agree on to help our classroom run not only efficiently, but um, what is the word I'm looking for? Like effectively and, you know, with a sense of community. However, I think we often mistake a sense of community with everything goes, everyone can say whatever they want. And this is where I had a huge problem with our class tonight, because as we were going through um, the suggestions that people had made, many, and I would say probably most of the suggestions were, I need a safe space. I need a space where I can say um, what I need to say without... Um, being made to feel bad about my feelings. I need a space where um, it's okay to get things wrong and, you know, people won't um, pretty much come for me for saying what I need to say. And I felt like this is super violent. And again, for anyone who's not kind of in that anti-racist, anti-bias um, realm, you're going to be like, violent? Like, that's a really strong word. Nope. I mean what I say. Um, it was violent in that people wanted a space to be able to say harmful things to other people intentionally or unintentionally um, and that be chalked up to learning. That is no longer learning and that is no longer a safe space. Um what you're doing is creating a harmful space, especially for those who are often, again, racialized or oppressed. And I really was like nervous. Like I felt my heart start to race because I was like, I don't know if I can sit in this class for the rest of the term, knowing that people can just say whatever they want um, because it's just how they're feeling. That whole idea of intent versus impact, which I talk about often, um, just kept running through my head. Like they were saying, well, it doesn't matter what the impact of my statement was because I didn't intend for it to hurt anybody. Um, and that was so bothersome for me. Um, and so I really wanted to today unpack the idea of a safe space and kind of think about where we can go from here, because it is really unfair, especially in a place where we are talking about social justice education, where everyone in that space is going to be a doctor, a doctor of social justice education. It is troubling to me that we are still in a place um, where we are protecting whiteness, we are protecting the dominant culture, where we're protecting hegemony, like... Um, those things need to change. So let's do this. Schools in session. When we look at the idea of safe spaces, we often see divisive rhetoric around a culture that has been accused of restricting free speech by saying that opposing opinions are harmful. However, it is not the idea that contrary opinions are harmful. It is the opinions that continue to perpetuate white supremacy and the oppression of historically marginalized groups that is violent. So that's supposed to mean. According to an article in Splinter News by Malcolm Harris, in her book, Mapping Gay LA, scholar and activist Moira Kenny traces the beginning of the safe space idea to gay and lesbian bars in the mid 60s. So a safe space meant somewhere you could be out and in good company, at least until the cops showed up. So the most 
I think poignant part of um, this discourse here is when Moira Kenny says gay bars were not safe in the sense of being free from risk, nor were they safe as in reserved. A safe space was where people could find practical resistance to political and social repression. And so when people who are part of the dominant culture say they need a safe space to kind of work through their white guilt or ideas around racism, safe spaces no longer protect those they were meant to serve. Um, so again, the idea is that the safe space protects the marginalized community, not the dominant community. Um, the idea isn't that we're doing away with safe spaces, but that we're creating brave spaces that challenge societal norms and get people to question the harmful rhetoric they've absorbed through societal norms. And I think the best kind of example of that is a poem that we often use in education, and it is everywhere. And it's Invitation to Brave Space by Mickey Scott Bay Jones, because it really sums up where we're trying to move in terms of social justice education discourse. And I'm going to read the poem to you and then we're going to kind of unpack it a little bit. And again, this is something that is widely available. If you just Google invitation to brave space, um, her poem will pop up. So the poem reads, together we will create a brave space because there is no such thing as a safe space. We exist in the real world. We all carry scars and we have all caused wounds. In this space, we seek to turn down the volume of the outside world. We amplify voices that fight to be heard elsewhere. We call each other to more truth and love. We have the right to start somewhere and continue to grow. We have the responsibility to examine what we think we know. We will not be perfect. This space will not be perfect. It will not always be what we wish it to be but it will be our brave space together and we will work on it side by side. So I will kind of acknowledge that this poem is very often used in professional development sessions, especially in my board. It is kind of the standard for how we set the tone uh, for how, you know, discussions are going to happen within whatever space we're in during that time. Um, and inevitably, they will ask the question, what did you take away? What do you think are the most important pieces of this? And the one that I always kind of defer to or the one that sticks out in my mind is um, in this space, we seek to turn down the volume of the outside world, meaning, you know, societal norms, because those are usually determined by the dominant culture. And then the line, we amplify voices that fight to be heard elsewhere is a gem in my mind. Like, that is what this is really about. It is not about having your dominant culture voice heard um, and your feelings validated. It is really about giving a platform to people who don't often have that that time, that space, that freedom uh, to do that. And so I really think in looking at brave spaces, we're not asking, you know, again, the marginalized or the oppressed group to be brave because they are, we are being brave every day. It is really on those who are closer to the dominant culture that really need to be brave enough to have their feelings hurt. And it's not that we're seeking to hurt your feelings, like going out of our way to make sure your feelings are hurt. But again, a lot of the, the ideals 
that the dominant culture holds are harmful. And so we need to challenge that. And that's why it is really important not to center yourself and say, I need a brave space so I can say what I want without recourse. Because again, that's super harmful. All right, school's out. Let's chat. Oh, Chile! <laughs> Legit, that's how I felt in class today. Like, <laughs> I just wanted to be like, woo, Chile, the whole time because I was actually beside myself and I couldn't believe the utter disregard for for truly social justice education. Like, oh man, what is the point of social justice education? Um, if not to create equity, right? Like equity is our goal, not equality, equity. Everybody gets what they need in order to be successful. Um, how can we do that if we're still prioritizing um I don't even know, like if we're still prioritizing like white guilt, I guess, like it is not up to marginalized communities to assuage your guilt. Like that is what it is. That's it. That's the tweet. <laughs> like, oh, and then we had this whole discussion around hope and like if we don't have hope then like what do we have and we have to hope for better but like what a privileged position to be able to hope for anything at this point do you understand that every time the black community hopes for something that we get slapped in the face and that we end up crying and then having to go to work the next day and act like everything is okay when everything is kind of falling apart around us like miss me with your need for your safe space. You know what? In fact, say goodbye to your safe space. Like, <laughs> I'm feeling spicy. Like, honestly, I I don't even know how else to articulate how. Oh, I don't even know what the word is. Like annoyed, perturbed, bothered. And I was like, we went into breakout groups after we had had this entire class discussion. And the nice thing is, is that I was with um, people who understood like and were definitely like, yeah, like I was feeling the same way. So, um, you know, that that was helpful, but I'm upset. <laughs> How long has it been since you heard me say that? Oh, Andre, we got to get back to teachers like us. Um, so, yeah, it just feels all a little bit performative. And I don't know how to fix that in a space where we are supposed to be um, fighting for for change. I don't know. I'm feeling really disillusioned right now. I'm not going to lie. The other thing that's kind of rubbing me the wrong way is that um, the overarching theme for this course, and through no fault of my prof, I will say, just kind of through, I guess, whomever like the collection of people that are in this course together and kind of feeding off of each other is this idea that love and kindness are going to fix everything and I just like if that were the case wouldn't it have already I I don't know like it's it's not love and kindness um 
it's compassion, it's understanding, it's being held accountable for your actions. Because if people keep getting away with the same thing, they're going to keep doing it knowing that they can hold power. And so we're really not recognizing the power dynamics at play. And I think that is kind of the root of this entire um, conversation that I'm having today with myself (laughs) is that um, people are not recognizing where power lies and how um, power then again, activates, you know, it activates like the privilege in people or the, oh, you know what? Someone actually came up with a new term for privilege. They said they weren't going to use white privilege anymore. And it was something else. Oh, white advantage, right? It's it's activating that advantage um, that that you don't see because it's it's invisible, right? Like, and you don't have to see it. It doesn't affect your day-to-day life. And so, I don't know. I'm stuttering a lot through my words today, partly because we haven't done this in a while, partly because I'm just like kind of working through my thoughts as I talk to you. And so, I don't know. I'm struggling with it. I'm not going to lie. I'm a little bit annoyed. I'm really coming to you like in the heat of things. Like I got out of class and I was like, nah, we're recording this episode right now. I don't care if I have time or not. We're going to do this. And so here I am. I guess the part of it that I need to reconcile is the fact that not everyone is looking towards abolitionist teaching. Um, And I think we're going to have to talk about that in another episode and this idea that um, the system is broken, right? And how can we have social justice education in a broken system? Because the system inherently favors dominant culture because it was created by dominant culture for dominant culture, Um And again, we just had Orange Shirt Day that just passed. And if you look at residential schools, like what was the purpose of residential schools? Um, It was it was assimilation. Right. So um, the system itself does not work. Um, It works the way it was intended, but it doesn't work for us all. And I think we need to start reimagining education. And really, I think that I do. I think that's the next conversation we're going to have once I start talking about online teaching and how online teaching is going and all of the struggles that I faced in the beginning. Yes, I'm only two weeks in, but it has been a a, a two weeks of sheer frustration. <laughs> Honestly, I, I don't even know if I start down that rabbit hole, we're going to be here until next week. So that's a whole nother episode about online teaching and the rigidity of um brick and mortar school and how we imagine education. And yeah, I don't know. (laughs) So in the interest of me not rambling anymore, I am going to wrap this up. Thank you so much for hanging out with me. And I'm glad you came back um, and listened to this entire episode. And I can't wait to talk to you next week about online schooling. Like I just made myself super excited. So you can catch me on Instagram and Twitter. I'm on Twitter now. Y'all, Twitter is a different place. Like, look at me. I'm going off on another tangent. But you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter. I talk pure nonsense on Twitter at Alyssa G. Titer. Um, Don't forget to rate and subscribe to Historically Speaking. Obviously, um, when you subscribe, when you rate, it helps boost the podcast. 
And a new season of Teachers Like Us drops very soon once Andre and I get our lives together because, like I said, online school, you know what it is. Um, Other than that, I've been talking for way too long, even though the podcast hasn't been that long, but I've been trying to end it for like a good five minutes now. So let's go. Peace out. Yo, these people really had me in class like Woo Chile. Woo Chile. Chuh.